The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. My name is Elena Martinez. I am professor in the Herbert Wertheim School of Public Health and Human Longevity Science. I am also um, a faculty at the UC San Diego Morse Cancer Center. My background is probably not unlike many other um, immigrants to this uh, country. I was born in a small town that is not so small anymore in Mexico. Um, it's The name of the town is Venado, which oddly enough, it stands for deer. <laughs> um, and it's in the state of San Luis Potosí. Not a very common area that people know. It's not a touristy area. That is where I was born. I came to the United States in uh, the late 60s um, as a pre-adolescent, and I came here with my family. Uh, my father had been here in the United States for several years before he brought us over. He was a migrant worker. He worked in here in the state of California as well as uh, in Arizona before settling in um in Chicago, Illinois, of all places, a very cold place. So he decided at some point that he wanted to bring his family. Uh, by then, there were um, uh, four of us. Um, so we came here to the United States and settled in Chicago. So as a pre-adolescent, I uh, was brought to Chicago to start my new journey and my new life in the United States. When we got to Chicago, um, obviously my father brought us to the United States for a better life, and education is key in making that life better for his family. He was didn't have the privilege, he or my mom didn't have the privilege of having those opportunities in Mexico. My father was um, um, very, uh, did not graduate from uh, grammar school, my mother did graduate from grammar school. Um, and so they didn't have those opportunities. And obviously, uh, my father coming to the United States saw that this would be a better opportunity for us to get an education. So education was always ingrained in us. And even though it wasn't said all the time, it was pretty much implied that we were here in this country to take advantage of opportunities that this amazing country has to offer. So education was always at the core. Um, he made sure that we went to, you know, at least better schools. Uh, I started out uh, in a public school because it was down the street from our house and I could walk to it, but I wasn't doing well, not that I wasn't doing well grade-wise, but it was just that immersion was very um, difficult and challenging. And I recall my mom and my dad saying that there were days where I could, would come home crying because I didn't know the language, I didn't know anything, I didn't know the culture, it was so, so different. And my father, I guess in his wisdom, decided that he would take me out of public school and put me in Catholic school. I still don't know exactly why that decision came about, but he thought that maybe that would be a better environment for me. The 
Catholic school was a better environment because it was smaller class size, and somehow maybe by then I had grown a little more and did much better in Catholic school and finished Catholic school, uh, grade school, and then I also ended up going to Catholic school and uh, high school. The tradition of Catholic school continued. My high school was probably not a common place that most students would, um, I guess, identify with because it was very, very small. My graduating class was, I think, 25 or something like that. So it was very small. It was an all-girls school also. Um, and so that helped in terms of creating like a small family. It did become a small family. And the college application process was facilitated by a counselor. So we had a single counselor for the whole school. It wasn't that big. And so uh, the college application came about through my counselor at the high school, sitting all of us down, sitting me down, and asking me if I would be interested in going to college. And uh, this was so foreign to me, although I knew that I would want to at least attempt to get into college, but it was so foreign because I was the only one in my family that I could think of who was actually applying to college. So I remember that she facilitated this. And one thing that now seems kind of a, a funny, but it's, you know, it wasn't so funny at the time, but maybe other students still experience this, is that in order to apply to college, you have to apply for financial aid, right? And so I talked to my dad about his tax documents. And finances don't get discussed in many of our families. Like, I never knew how much my dad made. And he was very proud of that. He didn't share that. And so he couldn't understand why to get into college, he would have to share such private information, right? And I remember him struggling with the fact that he would need to share this information. And at one point, he was thinking, no, I'm not going to share that. And I'm like, well, I can't get into college. You know, I can't apply. And obviously, he didn't know. Uh, nobody else knew, and he was questioning it. You know, he was he did provide that information, obviously, and then we learned that it was for a good thing. It was a good reason for doing that. I was able to get scholarships because he was the only uh, wage earner in the house, and I was the oldest of six by then, so obviously he didn't make a lot of money. It was very helpful, and that was a lesson that I think uh, was very helpful for, for my for my uh, father, uh, my proud father, um, to learn. I know they were proud, but they are not from this. We are not from a family where you share a lot of your feelings, right? You keep them kind of quiet. It's like this quiet pride that you have. But you would hear my dad sharing that story with others. And... Again, because I was the first one of my generation, um, there was pride. Um, there was also anxiety and fear, like, what does this mean? Uh, because the application process meant applying to colleges where I would not be living at home. 
And um, that was scary for them. And actually, um, I don't think I was allowed. I have to think about this, but I don't think I was allowed to leave home. It was kind of implied that I would need to live at home again. It's that immigrant, what's going to happen to my daughter? I've never experienced this. Uh, She should continue to live at home. We should continue to help her. So I think it was pretty much implied that I would live at home. I did get accepted to one college where I could, it was nearby, but uh, I could stay at the dorm there. But I ended up going to the state college nearby and, um, and living at home. Overwhelming. Imagine coming from a graduating class of 25, going to a state college. I had no, or nobody prepared me for that. Nobody. Um, the very large classes that freshmen have to take, that you're in an auditorium of, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people, was overwhelming for me, just completely overwhelming. There's some classes that I didn't do well, classes that were like that because I felt lost. I didn't know where to go for help. Um, and so some of those classes at the beginning, I, I did not do well. I mean, I, not, as, not that I failed them, but I did not do as well as I could have because I was so completely lost. I remember economics became my most hated subject because I had no idea what I was doing in that class. I did my best taking tests. I'm not a strong test taker. So, you know, the tests you take in those large classes were very, very challenging. But I learned how to balance that with the classes that I am good in that were smaller classes where I got some one-on-one help through through the counseling uh, office. So that those, I've always been strong in math. So math and other math, like uh, I, I did really well in chemistry, and so some of the you know some of the sciences I did really well. So I kind of balanced my grade point average. Um, just you know the balance between those large classes where I wasn't doing as well with the smaller classes that I was really doing well with. In terms of pursuing a career, um, no, I did not know what I wanted to do. Uh, once I got into college, uh, I had an interest in nutrition, for example. So I pursued a nutrition degree from the beginning. I, that was something, but I never explored anything else. It's not like I was an informed student. I wasn't. It's just like with my counselor, okay, nutrition. All right, nutrition sounds good. And so I just pursued that and kept going. I never explored anything else. Not bad or good, but that that's, you know, I set my mind up to something and I pursue it. So after I got my bachelor's degree, that, that was in Chicago, um, I started working. And then life happens, but we ended up moving, I ended up moving to, to, to Houston, uh, Texas. I was married by then and had one child um, and moved to Houston, Texas and was working at a hospital as a dietitian. And my life in terms of pursuing careers has been about opportunities that have been provided to me. I am so incredibly for, um, you know, lucky and fortunate to have had people see something in me that I didn't see in myself, and they gave me opportunities, and I took them, uh, not always knowing 
how challenging those opportunities would be, but I took them. So it's always been like that. I got a master's degree in public health because my boss at the time told me in order to accept the research nutritionist position, I had to go to school and get a master's degree. And I said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I got a master's degree. Then after the master's degree, another advisor sat me down. And he says, okay, so what? Now what? What are you going to do with the master's degree that you can't do right now? And I hadn't even thought of that. He said, I think you should take the summer off and enroll in the doctoral degree. And I said, really? He said, yes, you like science, I can tell. So again, other people seeing in you something that you don't see yourself and taking advantage of those opportunities. So that's how I you know, started in the PhD program. Um, and slowly, because I was working full time, two kids, you know, very, very challenging, Slowly but surely, um, I was able to finish the coursework and do a dissertation and receive a doctoral degree. My research trajectory um, has evolved over the years and decades now. Um, I started out as a straight, what we call a straight traditional epidemiologist, where you study uh, why diseases happen, how they happen, and things like that. I love the, the inquiry of it. I love the, uh, the, the curiosity of learning why and how. That's what epidemiologists do. And so I started out in that career, type of career, um, where it's about uh, discovery and answering questions uh, very focused in the area of cancer, so cancer prevention, cancer etiology, and uh, develop a very, very sound foundation in epidemiology. But I'm a very, very curious person. I, I love to learn. I'm a lifelong, lifelong learner, uh, as the term goes, and I am an example of that. If there's a question, I go after the answer. And I go out of my way out of finding that answer. So I'm always a very, very curious, curious person. So the, my, my career, you get to a point and you kind of feel like you've gotten to that next stage. So what is the next stage now? So my career evolved into exploring areas outside of traditional epidemiology. I've always, like I said, love learning. So then I really um, launched into learning from other disciplines, like basic science. How does epidemiology contribute to understanding the biology of cancer? How does the biology of cancer uh, fit in understanding the etiology of cancer? That's what we call team science. I mean, I think I was doing team science before even the term evolved because, again, I was given opportunities by my mentors. So the team science concept has always been something that I have pursued, that I teach about, that I mentor about. Later in my career, I uh, became more and more involved in cancer disparities, cancer equity. People ask me, well, why didn't you pursue it early on? Well, it wasn't a funded field. It wasn't. There were no funding opportunities to pursue cancer disparities when I was growing up. 
when my career was coming up. Obviously, now it's a huge field, thankfully. But back then, it wasn't. I had to wait for those opportunities to come about so that the research, my research could flourish. And now that's, you know, probably 90% of my research involves equity and addressing disparities in underserved communities. In terms of challenges in, in, in my career and how I have overcome them, um, probably a personal challenge was that I, um, I wasn't a very um, um, assertive person. Um, my culture, my background um, didn't teach me that, right? That, that advocacy, advocate for yourself, um, I, I came across probably as insecure, and perhaps I was, because I didn't grow up in, in that environment, right? Um, and my family and my upbringing, my upbringing did not teach me those skills. So coming out of my shell was, was a challenge. Um, I would be the one sitting in the corner, not saying a whole heck of a lot, even though I had something to say. I was afraid to say it. I would be... I have anxiety if I was going to speak up, especially in front of highly esteemed people. I had to come out of that shell. Um, but thankfully, I was surrounded by mentors and advisors that allowed me to come in and really encouraged me to come out of that shell. Even going, I probably the most intimidating um, instance that I can think of is I had an opportunity to apply for a postdoctoral fellowship at the Harvard School of Public Health. And I had to interview, so they invited me. Um, I'd done job interviews, but not like that. And sitting in a room, I was, there was maybe one other female, I'll come to think of it, maybe there weren't any females. It was mainly, it was all white men, okay? Uh, I was shaking, probably people could tell when I had to present my dissertation work and, you know, interview with people. But those people were the sweetest, most wonderful, caring, just laid-back people. So it wasn't the environment that I thought I was going to experience. And they offered me the job, and I took it. So again, it's, it's that. And then with, that was, you know, sort of like a gatekeeper coming in. That was my gate and coming in saying, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, there is, there is a world for me here. There is a place for me here. Um, that was a really, really intimidating, scary, uh, experience that I overcame. And that helped me build confidence and more experience like that came in my career, and I was able to overcome them, and that's how you get out of your shell, and then later on you figure out, if I don't speak up, who's going to speak up for me? Or I can't let somebody else speak up for me all the time. My childhood experience has had a great influence in what I'm doing today. Um, First of all, overcoming the shyness to build that confidence is, goes a long way. Um, the persistence and the tenacity that you have to um, have to be able to get ahead in life has helped me in my career. B- 
being the oldest of six obviously helped because it, um, a lot of responsibility is put on the oldest in, in our culture, in the Mexican culture. And so you develop those leadership skills early on that you didn't even think were leadership skills. Um, so you th- I think back on, on those lessons. Um, I also think that um, the culture that I grew up in, uh, in my home and in my school, now have helped me um, open up doors in my career because I now have colleagues in Mexico, various parts of Mexico that I have um, research collaborations with. I'm able to go back and speak the language uh, with them. Um, the culture is obvious. You open your mouth and, you know, oh, somebody else from our country, um, you know, opening doors for us. And so those childhood experiences, those that culture is evident right away when you collaborate with, with um, colleagues in Mexico and in other parts of Latin America. So I've been able to do work all throughout Latin America, uh, but a lot also in Mexico as a result of my childhood experiences, the culture that I grew up in, and it has helped me tremendously. Serendipity, what does it mean to me? Um, it's, it's such an interesting um, word that I have heard others also talk about. To me, it's about doors that open for you where you least expect them. Walking through those doors and not being afraid to walk through those doors. That is what serendipity is because um, it's not something that you necessarily plan for, right, at all. It's, uh, there are those people that have their lives, that set up their lives and their career trajectory. I admire those people. I really do. Uh, but not all of us grew up in that kind of environment that even know how to plan that, right? Because we don't have role models, because we don't have um, someone who's helping us make those plans. Some of us don't have that, so we have to take advantage of what opportunities are put in front of us by others, by institutions, by people. But it means not being afraid to either knock on the door or walk through the door that someone else opens for you and not look back and not be afraid. That's what serendipity means to me. The one thing that would be, uh, that is amazing about the future for you, for our future students, our future generation, is thinking about you being part of the solution to addressing inequity, to addressing disparities, no matter what career trajectory you take. What do I mean by that? Some of you may not even have any idea of what it is you want to do. Education is the key, first of all. And I tell students, my mentees, undergraduate, high school students, you can be part of the solution simply by getting an education because doors are going to open for you. If we don't educate the next generation, who's going to replace me? 
And nowadays, I tell people, I don't want to be replaced by just one person. I want to be replaced by a hundred, by a thousand people like me who look like me so that others can look up to you. I never thought of myself as, oh, somebody else in the future is going to look to me and be inspired by me. Never thought of myself that way, but students do tell me that. Undergraduate students, graduate students, even junior faculty who come and apply here, they see a leader that looks like them, and that makes a huge, huge difference. How are we going to build that without you, without the next generation? I say it again. I want to be replaced by a thousand people that look like me because that's how we are going to address the inequity and the disparities and just become a more inclusive community.